I'm not an artist. I'm not an art collector. I've never taken an art history class. I could be accurately described as an art idiot. But I'm not an idiot. I can see that art and beauty carry a lot of weight in the world. They matter. The world pays attention to them. And this is obvious to me. You see, the past 10 years have seen the 10 most expensive art sales in history. These 10 sales have been for a combined $2.49 billion. With the top sale, a Leonardo da Vinci painting called Salvador Mundi, selling in 2017 for $450 million. Art matters to us. And back in 2013, the most subscribed beauty vlogger, you know, someone who does videos about makeup and beauty products. Did you know this is a thing? I didn't. Not until about 2011 or 2012 when Carissa Yee, a high schooler at the time, introduced me to them. And we'll hear more from Carissa later on. But the most subscribed beauty vlogger on YouTube in 2013 was Bethany Mata with about one and a half million subs. And today, James Charles has 21.4 million subscribers. If you're curious, Bethany's following has grown to 9.4 million. Beauty matters to us. The world is interested in art. The world is interested in beauty. Even I can see this. But does art matter to God? Does beauty matter to God? Are these things simply a secular part of the world that have little spiritual benefit or significance? In other words, what place should art and beauty have in God's good world? Welcome to the ninth episode of Season 2 of Breadcrumbs, our youth ministry podcast at Bread of Life Church. I'm Jason Lowe, the youth minister at Bread of Life. This season, we are talking about the theme sacred versus secular. When we label certain activities as sacred or as secular, have we really considered how that influences the way we see the world? Have we thought about how it might hinder our faith? Is it even right or accurate to use such labels? In this September episode, we ask what place art and beauty have in the world. From an early age, children are exposed to art. We learn to draw simple things like shapes. And as we mature, we add to those simple drawings to make increasingly complex art. We begin to use a variety of mediums, and for some, we find that art becomes a way of life. The idea of beauty is also not foreign to us. Quickly, we develop a notion about what is beautiful and what is not. We look at a sunset or a sunrise, if you wake up that early, and we marvel at its beauty. People look at children, their young, energetic, glowing faces, and we say to their parents, your children are beautiful. 
In our minds, we notice certain people, some we know and some we don't, and we find them attractive or beautiful. We are drawn to beauty. But our relationship with art, and especially with beauty, is rather ambivalent. We find great delight in them, but we also find ourselves obsessing over them. Maybe we feel we don't care about beauty, and while art is nice, it's not really practical. A preoccupation with either is both unnecessary and rather secular. But are they? What if, instead, they are sacred and a necessary part of the human experience as image bearers of God? And that's the question for the rest of our discussion. I think it's necessary for us to consider first what God thinks or says about beauty and art. Does he care about them? And I'd like to approach the question from two angles. First, I want to look at what God says about beauty and art in his word, the Bible. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, beauty comes up more than in any other book of the Bible but it is largely described in negative terms. In chapter 16, Ezekiel prophesies about beautiful Jerusalem using her beauty to act the part of a prostitute. It's a passage exposing the unfaithfulness of Israel, and her beauty is an unflattering ingredient. In verses 14 to 15, it says, And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. It's not really a good look. And then in chapters 27 and 28, we read about the city of Tyre. And again, pride on account of beauty is what defines the city, and especially its king. And famously, in chapter 28, the king of Tyre is judged in what is often understood to also be a backstory for Satan. And in verse 17, it says, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Beauty is certainly a dangerous thing, a preoccupation with it, a dangerous state of being. But beauty is far from being a bad thing. In fact, the Bible talks about it as if it's a wonderful thing. Quite powerfully and famously in Psalm 27 verse 4, David expresses his one thing. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And then in the book of Revelation, the city, the new Jerusalem, is described, and it has great, great beauty. It says, The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. 
The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. Not only that, but God is definitely interested in art, beautiful art. In Exodus chapter 31, he identifies two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, artists who he enlists to build and craft the tabernacle. It's a structure that's designed to have great beauty, and it was of enormous spiritual significance, a most sacred space. And this is what God says to Moses. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed a Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments of Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. You see, God calls artists, and he is indeed an artist himself. Beauty and art most certainly matter to him. And that leads me to the second angle that I want to explore. We also need to understand the way that God thinks about art and beauty through nature. Now, I think my love of nature comes from my dad. He took my brother and me fishing and camping into beautiful places. He knows more about birds and plants than I ever will. I think what appreciation I have for the beauty of nature began with him. When we were kids, numerous times dad would take us to Yosemite. And when we were older, a few times to the Grand Canyon. Those two are now my top five, maybe top two places that I want to revisit and share with my kids. The breathtaking view of Yosemite Valley as you enter and marvel at the cascading waterfalls and startle at the enormous formations of granite, El Capitan, Half Dome. The sunsets of the Grand Canyon are most certainly surreal 
and the vastness of the canyon's width and depth and length are like something out of a child's imagination. I'm pretty sure you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who would challenge the idea that both places are absolutely beautiful. But it's not just the artistry and beauty of landscapes. You know, if you were to visit my dad's house, you would come across a bird poster. A Birds of North America poster. The poster is about two feet tall and three feet wide. And it has over 700 birds puzzled or tetris all over its surface. You have birds like the great blue heron or the nuthall woodpecker, the stellar's jay, and my personal favorite, the peregrine falcon. The poster is a rainbow of colors and a mosaic of patterns. Blues, reds, tans, yellows, grays, blacks, whites, greens, pinks, browns, oranges. Speckles, stripes, dots, striations, crests, highlights. And just that one poster, 700 plus works of beautiful art displaying the creativity and glory of God. The God who created these places and these creatures is an artist of the highest order. In fact, I think that we could say that God is the capital O, capital A, original artist. And if that's true, then what can we say about our relationship with art and with beauty? Well, I think that we can say that our creativity and our interest in art and beauty is derived from our identity as image bearers of the Creator. In his book titled Art in the Bible, Francis Schaeffer writes, God, because he is infinite, can create out of nothing by his spoken word. We, because we are finite, must create from something else that has already been created. This means that the activity of making beautiful things and appreciating beautiful things is a sacred activity that we are made for. And not only that, but Schaefer helps to explain the value of art and beauty. It's about worship. He writes, The man who really loves God, who is working under the Lordship of Christ, could write his poetry, compose his music, construct his musical instruments, fashion his statues, paint his pictures, even if no man ever saw them. He knows God looks upon them. So our creation of art, our appreciation of art, our acknowledgement of beauty should ultimately be about and for the worship of God. But as we acknowledged at the outset, our relationship with art and with beauty isn't that simple. It's complicated. And as with just about everything in life, it's complicated by sin. Sin in the world and sin in us distorts and twists how we think about art and about beauty. I sat down with Carissa Yee to ask her about her high school days when makeup and skincare and beauty vlogs were a big part of her life. And she was honest about what made her so interested. So when you, when you stumbled upon it, uh, what was it that, that pulled you in? Um, 
I think like I think it was honestly just like me being insecure with how I looked and just like kind of wanting a solution and maybe not knowing how bad I wanted it until I like saw the solution there. Um, and I think they made it seem really like accessible because they're not like celebrities, like models. It's these like everyday girls sitting in their bedrooms who have the same problems as you. They like get on sometimes with like no makeup on and then they put their makeup on. And I think seeing the transformation, how it's like, it was so easy to get if you just do like X, Y, and Z, like these are the instructions and you get it. And I think I really like that sort of like transaction where it's like, if I do this, I get this. So um, did you find like, as you started to follow the, the, the blogs and the vlogs that you started to feel more beautiful, like as you were trying to do some of these things? Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> whoever saw me at the beginning of when I started doing this, you know, it's questionable whether it's actually working or not. Um, but <laughs> I think I felt better about myself. I think I felt better about myself because I probably did look better because I was putting on makeup and like taking care of my skin um, but I think I also felt better and more confident because I was like actively doing something to combat what I didn't like. So even if I wasn't there yet, I knew I was like on the right track and like I had plans to get there. Um, and sometimes I would get compliments on my makeup and I think that like meant a lot to me and it like kind of fueled me wanting to like do more and like get into it more. Carissa's reflection, I think, highlights the complexity of our relationship with beauty. When beauty defines who we are, and beauty in the eyes of other people is the end of our efforts, we begin to worship and become obsessed with ourselves. My art and my beauty are pointing everyone to my glory. But we're rightly insecure about our own glory. It's not really something to marvel at. And I think Carissa's journey has led her to a place where beauty is still important, but it doesn't define her. So would you say that you don't appreciate beauty anymore? Or how would you describe your current relationship with like makeup or, you know, fashion and beauty in general? Um, no, I think I really appreciate beauty. I think I always will. Um, I mean, separate from the whole beauty industry, I think I've always really loved art. And I think that there's something really beautiful about being able to look at the piece of art, whether that's on the human body, on your face, on a wall, on a, you know, in the form of a photograph. I think that being able to look at it with your eyes and see something, and then someone else being able to look at the same thing and see something else, I think that's beautiful. Hmm. Um, and so I think I kind of see it more now from like a, more like outside of myself like I just appreciate it um but it's not like who I am I love what Carissa says about appreciating beauty outside of herself this is a necessary step in our effort to write our relationship with art and with beauty while art might come from within us or our perception of beauty is formed in our minds it is sacred when it eventually helps us to see the glory of God and the creative artistry of the one and only creator. You know, I love my mom for many reasons, not least of which is the mere fact that she's my mom. But one thing about my mom is that she's an artist. She's not a painter or a sculptor, but she's a craftswoman. 
I recall when I was a kid, she would work on amazing cross-stitch images. It was exceedingly intricate and detailed and delicate and beautiful. On rare occasions, she submitted her work in a competitive setting and received recognition for her artistry. Our house now is filled with her handiwork. Eight different cross-stitch pieces, four to five quilts, at least half a dozen purses or handbags, three hand-knit lizards, and another three hand-knit snakes. Micah loves reptiles. Now, her art won't sell for $450 million, and even if she had a YouTube channel, she would never reach 21 million subscribers. But her art adds beauty to our home, and it's a beauty that reminds me of the creativity of God, the one who made my mom and gave her her artistic ability. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Breadcrumbs. Check in later this month when we release the full conversation between me and Carissa. See you in October.